If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, guest today is Jonna. Jonna, you're such a regular and you have such great information. How are you today? I'm very well, Bernice. How are you going? Oh, very well. And you've been travelling, Jonna? Yes, I've been everywhere. I've done New Zealand. Uh, just come back from Hobart now. I'm on my way to Perth tomorrow night. Yep. Well, great that we've um, been able to catch up with you. And we're going to talk today about 10 questions to ask about a potential purchase. Now, the story, you know, if anyone hasn't heard about Jonna, I think you should go back and listen right from the very start. First of all, we talked to Jonna, talked a little bit about him and his background, but then he's been very generous with his times and he's given us points. He's gone off from, a, you know, first handling a young foal all the way through to a, a weanling, a yearling, you know, starting them under saddle and taking them out of the round yard and riding them outside. And that's often a time when people will sell a horse. You know, the horse is going well. It's got lots of potential. There's lots of different ways that it could go, you know, whether it goes into like a, a um, performance horse specialist, a race horse, a stock horse, competition horse, whatever. But it's at that stage, once the horse is under saddle, that we start to specialise. A lot of people sell horses then. So John is going to talk to us today about 10 questions to ask about a potential purchase. So if you're thinking that, you know, you've got a young horse and it's going well under saddle or advertised as going well under saddle, these are 10 questions that you can go out and have a look. If you go out, have a look at the horse and ask yourself, is this horse gone through everything, say, that Jonna's horse has gone through, you know, our, our horse that we've been working with, Jonna? And it's a really good one to listen if you're thinking about getting a new horse. Now, the first one, and I'm sure, Jonna, that these are sort of the questions that you go through if people are looking at a new horse. The first one, ask lots of questions to the seller. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. This is a great opportunity for us to um, establish the horse's history. And the reason that I say that, really, the horse's behaviour up until this point is a combination of all of its, um, obviously, its hardwired drives or all its instinctual drives. And also the things that it's actually learned to do uh, training, whether it be underhand, uh, in hand or under saddle. So those things are really, really informative because it means that from a safety perspective and from an ethical perspective, we can then say, okay, so this horse, for example, if I'm riding it, takes a whole lot more effort to ride and I'm a whole lot more tired to ride it than, than my other horse, for example. So obviously it means that the amount of energy that it requires by the rider to keep the horse motivated and going is obviously a little bit imbalanced because I thought that um, the idea of riding a horse is that you don't have to expend any energy. And in this case, 
or in some cases the horse might be a little bit lazy so you make sure you have to use your leg a lot for example these these questions mean that if you you find out that um, I have to use spurs to get my horse simply just to go or I have to use a whip and spurs to get my horse to go for example it probably means that we need to come back a step or quite a few steps and say let's revisit what the horse knows and what he doesn't know about from the, from, from a go button point of view and so that's why these questions are really important because it means that we can then investigate and identify the deficiencies in the horse the deficiencies and, and we're, we're not trying to allocate blame here all we're just trying to do is make sure that we have a safe ride and that the horse actually understands every single question we put to it because if they don't understand the question and you get lots of resistance and you have to use lots of force and lots of pressure that probably isn't that ethical, then you need to ask yourself the question, what can I do to make the horse understand this better? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, now we've asked the seller lots of questions, but we want to have a look at the horse too, you know, and you've got here to have a look at the horse in the paddock or the stable first. So what sort of things are we looking for? I suppose you've talked about the questions we asked the seller, but what are we looking for when we just observe the horse in the paddock or the stable or, um, you know, in the yard or something? What can we what can we see there? So the very first question I would ask the owner, does this horse live in this paddock? Mm-hmm. How long is he in this paddock for? Is he by himself? Is he rubbed? And what does he like to be with the farrier or the vet or what does he like to change his rugs, etc. Ask all those questions because they're all little indicators of what is going well and maybe what is, needs more work. And let's say, for example, our horse is in the paddock and he seems quite settled. He's not. Uh, the very first thing I would do is go and have a look in the paddock and find out exactly where are his hoof prints like in that paddock. Are they skiddy, fast, sharp marks? Or are they really passive and he's really light on the ground and all the wear and tear on the paddock is really even? Horses that really are looking for a mate and are quite herd-bound or um, haven't been by themselves for a long period of time will often walk the fence line. And so the paddock will tell you a huge amount about whether this horse is being confined to the point where it's pacing up and down the fence. Mm -hmm. And then you can also see how well does the horse not just use the paddock, but how well does he move in his paddock is it a big enough paddock for him to be able to walk, trot and canter? Because if you can't walk, trot and canter, then you're really stifling all the hardwired drives for the horse because he needs to practice all these gates. Well, we'd like him to because if he practices these gates in the paddock, it's going to save us a lot of work because he will have some paddock fitness. And lots of horses are too sedentary in the paddock. And, of course, they're being fed a couple of times a day. Then you get on the horse and you can feel, well, I can always feel when I ride them, how fit the horse is because they don't end up being able to go for very long before they start to slow down and get tired. So they haven't had much done with them. So there's so many things that you can tell um, about the way that they feed, the way that they graze, how much grazing do they get, do they have any companions, do they walk the fence line, what are his hoof prints like, and what are his basic paces like, walk, trot and canter. When you look at him in the paddock, um, and you could ask the owner, for example, do you see him cantering in the paddock much? And, and they might say, yeah, well, you know, anytime he gets really excited and he comes out and he has a frolic in the paddock and says, oh, okay, 
Well, I might visit them at bedtime if you don't mind, so I can have a look at all three paces. Because mm-hmm. what we are trying to do here is trying to harness the full potential of the horse in its natural state or as close to its natural state as possible, and then find out exactly under saddle how much does that change. Because really, if a good job is done, not much change should take place except for maybe mental and some physical fitness. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, another thing is, you know, I mean, in an ideal world, all horses are well cared for, all their needs are met. But if the horse isn't well cared for, what sort of questions do you ask? What sort of things are you looking for to make sure the horse has been well cared for? Look, a best one is, I remember when I was working in Newmarket in England for Luca Kamani, who is a, um, anybody that knows anything about racing realises he's a, He's a top trainer, and um, he's a very, very good horseman himself. His whole family are, um, you know, of course, everybody knows that. And when I went to work for him um, in Newmarket, one of the very first things that he would do is that he would pick up the horse's, uh, look at the horse's feet. And the horse's feet tell you a whole lot. Without even picking them up, you can tell a whole lot. For example, the rings on the horse's feet will tell you whether he's endured any stress lately, and that stress may be simply changing paddocks, or it might be changing ownership, or it could be changing feed. It could be because he was sick, or because he caught a virus, or, or whatever reason it may be. But the horse's uh, hooves will tell you a whole lot about his trauma right through back to, I mean, if they would probably correct me on this, but I would have said somewhere between nine and 12 months a horse's um, hoof will exhibit any changes at all. Then when you pick the foot up, from a housing point of view, we really want to make sure that the horse has as much roughage as possible. You know, we all talk about, and I hear this so many times everywhere I go, that my horse is bad, or my horse needs to be treated for ulcers or he's been scoped for ulcers. The only reason the horse is going to be scoped for ulcers is because if it doesn't have separate roughage, or if it's in conflict with its environment, and that includes the riding and the training process. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason. I mean, horses aren't born with ulcers. You scope horses in the wild that have ulcers, and there's a reason for that. Yep, yep, yep. Now, how do you know if the horse is settled? You know, if you see a horse for a couple of minutes, or if you, does a horse, what are we looking for to see if the horse is settled in their current environment? Yeah, it's a good question. Um I always go by, first of all, I take a, a, a look at the horse from a distance and have a look at its paces. Is it quite settled in terms of how well it's using the paddock and does it use its paddock really evenly? Or is it clinging to the fence line, as I said before? The other one that is um, really quite interesting is that if you um, get a little closer to the horse that you're looking at, you'll be able to see with the horse's... Um, overall demeanour, his nostrils, his eyes and his ears and his tail as to whether he's very comfortable in that environment. Because a horse that, you know, goes around with his head high head carriage and his tail swishing a lot and kicking out and pig rooting, it's actually telling us something. It's telling us that it's not very comfortable at this point. And there's a reason for that. Is a horse in that scenario all the time or have they just put him in this paddock it's a strange paddock. I think you and I would uh, agree on this, is that if you'd like to take a photo of your horse doing spectacular work, just pop it in they can pull out your camera. Yep. Because the very first thing he'll do is that he'll raise his head and he'll go in a really passage trot 
and then he'll go and explore with a high head carriage and a high tail carriage and a really collected uh, flamboyant um, outline the, the boundary of his paddock. And then he'll start to run and work out where he can stop and where he can go, um, where, he can, where he can pull up, where he can turn, where he can accelerate. So all those things, especially the horse's demeanour, and I'll take this one step further, and I think I can pretty much work out now when I walk up and I can see a horse's eye whether he's had any recent trauma or whether he's actually had past trauma. But just by his eye, you can usually tell by a horse's eye. You know, a horse's eyes tell you so much. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I don't think we look at them enough, do we? Yeah, no, we don't look at them enough. And it was interesting today, I was riding a pony today that um, doesn't have a forward button. It has a really, really good stop button, but that's of no use because <laughs> if you've already stopped, you can't do anything about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a lovely little horse, but it was 13 years old. And um, this little pony that I was um, riding in the yard, and there, I brought some friends with me, and I, I asked my friends to hold the dressage with them um, because I said, I'm not really quite sure what he'll do with the whip yet, but um, we'll, I'll just get you to hold it in case I need it. And every time I rode the pony around the yard, every time he went past the whip, his left ear was cocked straight onto the man <laughs> at the whip. And I said, just stand back from the yard because I said, he might have a poke at you mm. when I trot past you. And, and whatever you do, don't move the whip. And my job is to try and ride closer to the whip if I can, but we'll see how we go. But the horse was genuinely scared of the whip. Mm. And um, when I started doing a little bit of groundwork um, and I was using the whip, the horse was um, it was fairly terrified. It, was, mm. yeah, it wasn't comfortable at all. Lord knows what has happened there. But um, either way, um, the horse ended up um, trotting and, and going quite well. I haven't got to the whip work yet. That's going to be a a future project, but it just goes to show that horses are so attuned to their environment. Yes. It's amazing, and, and that's what I love about riding and doing what I do. Mm. It's a bit mm. like unfolding a movie, is that the horse tells you everything about his past and tells you everything about what he knows and what he doesn't know straight off. Because horses don't look now as they are, they're like dogs, you know, it's marvellous. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Yes, and I think some people think that the whip is there as punishment instead of just using it as a training aid, you know, just a reinforcement of the natural aid. Yes, exactly. I mean, when we have to start using, and, and, you know, that is just it. Has anybody that is listening to this podcast ever heard of a horse that ends up going better when you whack it once or Mm. kick it once? And they just don't. It makes things worse because what you're actually saying is, you know better than this, pull yourself into line. That's not ethical. We've got to get better than this, you know. We've made so many inroads into everything else, but it seems like 
course behaviour and training ethics need to come a long way yeah, for me. Yeah. I, I see this a lot. And, yeah. uh, and that's why I, I do this podcast, and that's why I love it, is because for me, uh, it makes me a little bit emotional in that you really are batting for the horse. Mm, because mm. of what you can't talk to us. Yep, yep, yep. And that's why I love getting you on, Johnny, you know, because you, you really get it. Not just get it from the horse's point of view, but from the scientific proven way. You, do you understand? Like it's it's a lot more depth of knowledge than what than what a lot of good horsemen have. It's that science background that I really enjoy talking to you about. And everything that you're saying is coming from a science proven background. Well, that's it. I mean, isn't our safety and the ethics of horse training should be all based on something that's got some evidence based to it? Yes. What we're doing here, we're just shooting in the dark. We would never have got to the moon if we did this. No, no, that's right. That's right. Yep, yep. Now, I know earlier on you said about talking to the farrier and the vet about the horse. You know, this is talking about a potential purchase. What sort of questions should we be asking the farrier and the vet? I'll be just asking them really, really open questions for a start and, and, and get them and get them talking. For example, I would say to the vet and say, Oh, how many times have you treated the horse? Okay. And what have you treated for? Um, have you have you found the horse to be able to work with with be the carrier of the vet? Um, just really open basic questions. Okay. Um, just so that we can find out um that oh yes, when we um scope him we actually have to put him in crush, which is fine. But we want to know these things because yes. we we don't want to try and reinvent the wheel here. We want to try and make sure that whatever we do, capitalise the work that's already been done mm-hmm. and not just capitalise on it. We really want to put make sure that the money's in the bank. And the only way to do that is to make sure that the um, responses from the horse are completely predictable when we replicate the circumstances. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Now, earlier on, you talked about, you know, we sort of talked about horses being settled and indications that they may not be comfortable at this point in time. But if they're in an unfamiliar workplace, and this is a young horse, you know, it's a young horse that, you know, it's been ridden, it's been ridden and had handling all its life. But if they're in that unfamiliar workplace, what sort of things should we say, oh, well, that's understandable. It's a young horse in an unfamiliar workplace. And what sort of things should we go, no, this is a walk away. Oh, I'm not going to get this horse. Yeah, this is a this is a good one, Glennis, and this actually reminds me. I have a little flashbacks when you say stuff like that because it reminds me of uh, you know riding my horse and I'm practicing dressage like that because I really want to make sure I'm in the top seven when I go out um, to my next eventing competition, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et and you take them to the area in which you're going to warm up, and the horse is completely beside itself. And you didn't yeah. expect this at all. And this is exactly the same as what you get with a young horse. And, you know, you're meant to be going into the arena and you're meant to be doing COVID and you're meant to be doing shoulder and you're meant to be doing half pass and you're meant to be doing flying changes. But you're actually lucky that you're actually staying on board the horse. Mm. So then really the only thing, and every time I've done this, it has saved my bacon nearly every time I've done it, is boiled down to what can the horse do when it has this high level of arousal or this high anxiety state? You know, when the horse is actually really scared, and that's what we're talking about, the horse is scared with his environment, yep. you've got to boil it down to the questions that he can do and that he can't do. And we talked about this with the breaker in terms of context. Mm-hmm. And you've got to really make sure that the the one context you have no control over is the circumstance. We understand that. 
But the one context you do have control over is your ability to be able to retrieve reasonable responses from your horse if the questions are reasonable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the answer. Okay. So my job is really to find out, oh, yeah, can he stop, can he go, can he turn, can he yield? Can he go longer? Can he go shorter? Can he go faster? Uh, or can he go faster? Or what, what, what can he do? What, what can he do in this environment? And, and every horse is different, so you don't know. And this is probably, you know, the art of um, being able to ride many, many horses. And, and riding these horses is really the key to understanding what the kaleidoscope of horses' capabilities are is when you get on and you think, oh, well, okay, this horse has got a lot of cadence, so therefore he knows up really well, but he probably doesn't know how to go longer. Or he might know how to go longer, but he doesn't have much collective cadence. So that means that we need to think, well, okay, that's homework, that's down the track, but that's just what he can do. And he loves to go longer and do his big, flashy, medium trot. Well, that's great. But what I might focus on is my downward transitions here and make sure that he actually listens to me when I come back. And when I do get him to come back, does he stay there? So mm. the questions become really basic. I've noticed that nearly everything that I've done here with these interviews, I don't talk about turn and yield a whole lot. And I haven't talked about turn and yield a whole lot because I think that once you really feel that the horse is listening to you or basically being able to expand the gate, contract the gate, um, go down a gate, go up a gate, and do all those things, and he's not showing any of these conflict behaviours, then I'm starting willing, uh, and I'm starting to find out whether he's willing or not to do more complex manoeuvres, you know, such as um, turn and then flexion and then the self-carriage state of all those features. Mm-hmm. I, I don't worry about those things until I have those, you know, until I can expand it and contract it and bring it back and go up and down a pace. Okay. I don't worry about any uh, more complex things. So keeping it simple is the key. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Now, you did talk earlier about the hoof ridges as a result of changes and stress, but what about questions? I mean, what should we accept again and what shouldn't we accept? Say our horse that we're, um, we've got a potential purchase, the horse has got ridges around the hoof, okay? The yeah. owner might tell you, what's caused, the owner should know what's caused yeah. it. What sort of things would you say that's understandable? What sort of things would you say, oh, okay, maybe, you know, I'll keep looking for another horse? Yeah. I think the key part here is, is that how many ridges can you see? Because you don't want to see really definite ridges frequently because that means it changes the environment, it changes circumstances way too many times. Mm, okay. The horse will have ulcers there, yeah. So it's a bit like tree rings, really. When a tree um, gets burnt, for example, it lays down a really dark um, tenonous ring in its wood, mm. and, and and that becomes really obvious when you use a chancer and you, you cut the wood, you can see those rings really clearly. And that's sort of what happens with a horse. Is that when it's exposed when there's trauma, it's really, really easy to see. The trouble is, in in farriery, is that most farriers actually take off the periopal and they just shouldn't because the periopal is the outside covering of the horse's hoof that prevents evaporation and keeps the um, moisture content of the hoof very stable. So you should really only be trimming, you know, the, the growth edges of the foot. It's a bit like pruning a tree, really. Um but you really want to make sure that the outside covering of the foot does show the ridges, not from the point of view of a, a 
being able to investigate it or look at it, but from the point of view of making sure that the horse is not suffering from really inadequate hoof care, and then you have to treat the symptom of that because now he's got shaky feet because now his um, uh, brass has been used to parallel to the horse's wall. And I don't want to get into parry too much, but I, I have studied this a fair bit. And I just find that once we start to uh, see that the horse has got a lot of rings quite frequently, these horses that come out of um, different yards frequently, you might have a horse that's been to four different yards in a year, mm. and they, you will see that in a horse's feet. I mean, when you look at a horse, all of these horses put, it's actually a little bit like reading back into history. You don't know what caused okay. but you know yeah, that it's yeah. there. Yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking that along this and the you know notes and everything that you said before, you talked about the paddock. You know, you want to see where it's usually kept, but pacing yes. fem, fens. And what sort of things are we looking yes. for in the paddock again? I know you said that you, you know, you don't want the horse to be running up and down the fence, but how can we tell this? What sort of hoof prints are we looking at? Are we looking for roughage for plenty of hay or what else? You know, just tell us a little bit more about what we're looking for in an ideal paddock where the horse is kept. Okay. Can I give you the opposite scenario, Glennis? And I'll just say, let's look at what the worst case scenario is. Yep. If I see a horse and the middle of the paddock has hardly been used at all yep. and the feeding site is obviously being used because the horse has obviously been hungry and across the trough, um, which wouldn't I would like to think is not near the feeding site because it's not good for water and it's um, not good for the horse's uh, state in terms of travelling because we'd like to think that the, the feed and the water are in opposite parts of the paddock of the paddock is sort of one and a half acres or so. Yep. Um, but if I see a horse that has actually dug a trench down the fence line, that horse will go unsound. Yeah. Because the reason being, I believe, is the horse has now been walking, 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 twisting on its fetlocks and all its joints, not just its fetlocks, but every single joint, twisting and then walking with its head over the over the fence line and then twisting and then going back. So every time it does that, horses are not designed to do this. Horses are really designed to be going, you know, either at speed, travelling in straight lines. They're not, they're not designed to do corners and curves and, and, and sharp sharp changes of direction frequently. Yeah, periodically they can do that. Mm-hmm. But if we if I see a trench in a horse's face, there's no way. I, I'd say no, I'm not interested. Yep. Walk away. I, yep. I haven't gone into the paddock yet. I don't care if it's got a great canter and got great cadence and it's by, you know, the world dressage master out of the um, best of any man in the world. I'm not interested because um, it's already done too much depreciation of its joints by this activity in the paddock. And that's, I much prefer to buy a horse that's in a group of other horses. You know, it's been holder broken, but it's pretty much untouched. It's running in a mob, nice big open paddock. And they say, well, I don't know what they are today. Can you jump in the ute? We'll go and find them. Mm. Then I'm in. Mm-hmm. Then I'm in. Okay. Because, okay. And, and this undulating terrain business, something I was speaking to somebody about today, is that horses have to be able to negotiate undulating terrain. It doesn't matter whether it's just those horses. They should be able to do undulating terrain. Mm-hmm. But especially mm-hmm. if they're any other horse other than a dressage horse, dressage horses are one of the few horses around where they have to, you know, compete all the time on a flat surface. So we really want to make sure that those horses are conditioned to being able to understand how they go up and down hills, how they travel when they go up and down the hills, and how much effect it actually has on their gates, because that tells us a whole lot about how 
footsteps that the, the horse is, and that's what I want. I want a horse that's really, really got a good idea where its feet are all the time. It doesn't matter when it's warm or dry or it's hilly or it's rocky. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Say we've had a look at the horse and the horse has got everything. We, we go, right, that's good. We're happy with what the vet and the farrier have said. We're happy with the care that the horse gets. You know, the horse yep. is either out, out in a mob or, you know, got the condition of the paddock that you want. And we're going to get the horse ridden. Now, yep. the person that usually rides it will ride it. What sort yep. of things are we looking for in the way the current rider trains the horses? If we see the current rider working with other horses, you know, what yep. are we looking for? All we're looking for is what is it? I'm not looking to make judgment on the, the past rider because there's no point in that. All, mm-hmm. all we'd really like to be able to establish is how comfortable is the horse with this rider with its approach in the tacking up, tacking down, catching process, leading processes, etc., going from one environment to the from the paddock, how well... Um, what does she do when she catches it? How does she catch it that way? And I'll be just asking really open questions. Say, oh, I noticed that when um, you catch him, you give him a carrot. And she might say, or they might say, um, I, I give him a carrot, but I don't give him a carrot until I put his head collar on. Well, that's okay. That's good. Whereas I don't want to put a carrot in his mouth and then bribe him so I can catch him because then I'm actually capturing him. You're not training anything when I do that. I'm actually bribing him. And then when they lead him, lead him up to the paddock and then I pop him in the in the side tyres up to the tyre point or whatever it is, how simple is the horse with the whole thing? In other words, just watch the horse's feet. His feet and what he does in attacking, in taking the rugs off, getting groomed, having his feet picked out, making sure that he doesn't have any sore spots for running your hands all over because that's not just grooming, that's actually feeling what the horse is physically like in preparation for the saddle cloth, et cetera, and the saddle and the girth and the bridling and all those things. How much does the horse move and what is his overall demeanour when they do this? Because if his overall demeanour is not very settled and the, and the rider or yeah, the rider or the trainer, same thing, has to make a lot of adjustments to the horse while they're doing it, the horse hasn't done it enough times. So that means they're actually really keen to sell the horse, get it out of the yard because they probably don't like it a lot. Mm-hmm. So, but a horse that is really settled and really comfortable with its environment will just stand there and will actually like being where he is. You know, he'll go, oh, yeah, I get a bit of a scratch or a bit of a groom. Yeah, this is a nice place. And Yeah, I mean, I, that's why I'm not fussy. If horses are tied up inside a hay net okay. and, yeah. and they're eating, eating hay, that's fine. Make make the environment pleasant. Don't, don't make it aversive. Couldn't get too too worried about saying, "Oh, yeah, I'm not going to let him meet when he's in the stable because he makes a mess." Well, is your priority? Is yep. the priority really making sure the horse is comfortable with his environment or not? And then when they girth him up, and then when they put the bridle on, how accepting is he of all those things? How well does he look when they go about this routine? In other words, and it might be a grooming. If you're buying a horse. From a big yard, you, you, it might be a groom that's doing it. She sure. might just say, how many times have you caught and packed up this horse? And she might say, oh, I've never done it before. But the horse looks really quite relaxed. Oh, mm. marvellous. That's very really good. I can change the context of that and the horse doesn't care. It's just mm. done, it's done it that many times. So, you know, there's so much to see. It's just ridiculous. Yep, 
Yeah. The next question I'm going to ask you, it's almost like we need 10 points in this, but the main points, just give us a bit of a general overview if we're going to ride the horse. So we've done all of this so far and we haven't got on the horse yet, but if we do ride the horse, you know, if you give us an overview, we might have to go into a bit more detail at some stage, although we've already done the detail because you've already said what you're training to get the horse up to this level. So, you know, just That's generally, right. what it, what are we looking for then when we get on the horse? You know, we go back and, and listen to um, some of the previous videos because we talked about sort of proofing the aids and then we revised yeah. it. You know, I think that was um, 9 and 10. And also we talked about potential problems when riding a horse outside for the first time. So I suppose we've already covered it. But just an overview of questions that we'd ask about a potential purchase. What can you tell us about that? Okay, so let's say that the, um, the the groom, the groom may be riding the horse, we don't know, but the groom or the owner, however, we're, we're just going to have a look at the horse. I really want to make sure that everything that happened on the ground, if it looks really comfortable and really easy for the horse, that the horse's demeanor change once I get on it. Mm-hmm. If it changes, then, well, maybe we've got some work to do, but we'll still have a look. Um, let's see how things go. Does he stand in self-carriage all by himself when they park him beside the mounting block? Because okay. if he doesn't, they have to manhandle him to be able to make him to stand or he departs mum and put foot in the stirrup iron. Well, you may have found some fancy tricks, but you actually haven't trained him to park beside the mounting block. Let's get things right first. Let's get the basics done. So I really want to make sure that the horse is really comfortable, that the rider gets really... Um, uh, at ease with their stirrup length, their saddle, they're on the horse, they're taking it easy, they're not in a hurry, the horse is looking quite relaxed, he's standing there all by himself, they don't have to maintain park at all, and then when they put their leg on with that demeanor changes, really the essence of the whole thing from this point on is how well does the horse, um, or how well does the horse that I'm looking at buying do the transitions. It's all about transitions. It's not it's got anything to do with how well does he trot and how well does he canter. Those things are important. I understand that. But how much does he understand from the rider's directives when he should do an upward transition and when he should do a down? Mm-hmm. Then does he maintain that degree of uh, that tempo and the line in self-carriage all by himself and the whole ride looks easy. If I have to do a whole lot and I can see the rider nagging with their leg and doing uh, little tugs with their inside rein and, and they're talking flat out, then the horse will be high maintenance because that's what he's done. And um, this will be a fairly complex, tricky little horse to ride if they do lots and lots of signals in a short period of time. I don't want to see that. I want to see a couple of signals, a reaction, and then the rider did nothing. Remember, the, at the end of the day, everything to do with horses uh, in terms of training is all about what makes the pressure go away. And if the rider can't make the pressure go away, the horse will be tense. It'll mm-hmm. be running. Yep. There'll be no stimulus to self-carriage. And, um, yes, you might want to take it on because the price is fairly cheap and pretty keen to get rid of it. That's your choice. But at the end of the day, you've got a lot of work to do because you're going to have to rewind this video a fair way to be able to rebuild it all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. I think, Jonna, great. If you're looking for a potential horse to purchase, but you've gone into quite a lot of depth here, you know, people can look at 
the way that they're training their own horses and the way that their own horses are cared for and um, some of the characteristics of their own horses. So while we've talked about it being 10 questions to ask about a particular, you know, potential purchase, I think we've gone into a lot more detail than that, haven't we? We have indeed, Glenis, and I think that one of the things that I should be doing, and I I thought about this the other day when I was sending through um, my points to you, and I thought, I should be actually giving these listeners that have followed me from their word go right through to now something for nothing, and that something for nothing is a really simple message, and the simple message is, when in doubt nothing, find out what happens, and that tells you the deficiency. We're not relying blame on anybody. We're not actually allocating anything. We're all we're saying is, where are we at with this horse when I do nothing? So when I ride a dead straight line, for example, I'd really like to make sure that I've picked out two points. And if the point is fairly close to me, and it might be the judge's car, or it might be a tree, or it might be a light pole, whatever it is, or it might be a fence post. And then something a fair way beyond that. So we're not trotting towards those two points. And I always ride a straight line towards two points. I never do it to a single point ever because that's what straightness is. Straightness is about references. So you need to be able to um, pick out one point and then line that up with a second point. There might be two fence posts. Mm -hmm. And then do absolutely nothing and be as light and as still as you can and find out what's going on. That actually tells you which way the horse will drift, and that tells you what you need to do. So then you'll correct the line, and then you'll say, okay, now I've got you back on your line and you're trotting again. What will you do? And you might try the same thing again. But what we're training here as a little tidbit for everybody is the self-carriage state of straightness. Now, that same concept applies to does he keep going forward when I do nothing? And if the answer is no, he doesn't, then you are either nagging with your leg or you're too slow or you're not getting a reaction. It'll be one of those three things. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. Is not, this is not difficult because then we're actually training the horse to be able to respond from a signal and then he understands the, uh, understands the question. Therefore, he gives us the answer. Therefore, the question goes away and that's what training is. People are really good at applying pressure. But they're terrible at removing it. That, my job is centered around that. That's yep. the exact what my job is in a nutshell, is making sure that everything is clear. So it doesn't matter how ridiculous the horse is, if he doesn't understand the question by making the pressure go away, then he never will mm-hmm. because he'll always be confused because it's the only daylight he has. And, of course, in his natural environment, that's what happens. Yep. You know, he, he's, able, he's able to make the pressure go away by putting his ears back and kicking out and or, or doing whatever yes. he needs to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I like the way that you ask, you know, where are we at? Like, no blame. Where are we at with this horse? But uh, I think that's where, where are we as horse people as well? You know, like, like no one is born and starts off riding for the first time knowing everything. And, um, you know, I think if you come in and go, right, well, I just need to keep improving. I keep need to having an open mind. I keep need to, um, keep improving my communication. So no blame if you haven't got it right, but, just have an open mind and realise that you can just keep getting better and better. And I think, you know, the information that you keep giving us, Jonna, you know, if everyone keeps following and just keeps saying, I just want to keep getting better and better, I think that's, uh, you know, that's a good ambition for anyone. Absolutely, Glennis. And I think this has just got to be the future of it because otherwise we don't have a, we don't have a chance of being able to um, combat um, any of the 
activists saying, you know, riding horses is not a good thing, it's not an ethical thing, they might produce that argument. But if we can produce the argument and say, well, my horse is actually really relaxed in this and improve that. Mm. And we, there's many ways to improve that by saying, well, you know, the horse actually understands every single question that I get. And you can't say that when you look at my horse, there is any um, huge areas of conflict in the horse. Then, yep. you know, we are doing our job. I mean, after all, we have created these horses for a purpose. Yes. And that purpose, and, and they can be fit to purpose as long as we can make sure that in this day and age that we end up being as fair and ethical and as clear as, it, as we possibly can be. And I think you reminding me, blame has got nothing to do with this. I mean, we have to move beyond this. And I think there was probably, quite for me a long, long time ago, is that, you know, blame is a really damaging thing because it actually means you're looking for a culprit when really the culprit is yourself. Mm, mm, mm. John, I think we could talk all night, you know, we, we have to keep going and I know that you've, you've got to get ready for this plane and packing and everything else. So um, if people need to contact you, John, what's the best way? Facebook, website, phone number, email? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Look, um, the best one is my Train to Win, train to win um, Facebook page. Yep. That's, that's the one that um, is the easiest way to do it because it's not just me handling it. I've got um, – I've got um, – my my very diligent um, helper Debbie Jones doing um, this for me, and I really appreciate her help with that, with the Facebook page management stuff, and also my email, which is um, I've got time to win um, at gmail.com, and I've also got John and McLean at gmail.com, and that's the best way. Okay. Um, and but she, yeah, I, I'm always being harassed by um, Deborah to make sure that I put up photos and videos of what I do because I'm not very good at marketing myself, but anyway, I'll hope we get to have the fish in our life, don't we? <laughs> okay, Jonna. Well, look, if you miss those contact details, just go to horsechats.com and search for Jonna, J-O-N-N-A, and you'll get those contact details at the bottom of each of his pages and uh, you'll be able to contact him if you'd like to talk to him a bit more about 10 questions to ask about a potential purchase. Jonna, thank you very much, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Oh, look, I look forward to it, Glenn. It's absolutely marvellous. Thank you very, very much, and we'll talk very, very soon, I'm sure. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.